0: I want you to think about this statement. Every breath you take, you are one breath closer to breathing your last. Every breath you take, you're one breath closer to breathing your last. It's kind of a morbid thought, right? But if we think about it, it's true. Every breath we take, we're one breath closer to breathing our last. Because we don't know when our time on earth is over. We don't know when we are going to leave. And so have you ever thought about what your last words on earth might be? What are you going to say? Who would you say it to? Would it be powerful? Meaningful? Would it be lost on deaf ears? if If you knew you only had a week to live, would you make the most of it? Who would you want to spend time with, talk to, share the last bit of you here on earth? As we enter into this series called Last Words, Jesus knew that his time was near. He knew that he only had a short time left on earth, only had a week. He knew death was upon him. And he needed to share his final words, his last words, his last message with those around him. And in this short week, the words that Jesus shared not only impacted the lives of the people that were with him and those that heard him, but it impacted the world that he lived in, gives us instructions on how we can live our lives today, and pointed people to a life eternal Jesus made the most of his last week, and over the next month, because we can't study it all in one Sunday, over the next month, we're going to unpack these things to see where Jesus took us. So I want to stop for a second, and we're going to pray here in just a second, but I want to I let you know that we have a really cool tool that if you would like to have like the notes of, of these sermons, if you would like to follow along, if you would like to... To have something that, that's not just on the screen, if you have the Bible app on your phone, there's an events section on that Bible app, and you can search First Baptist Mason, and each week you will have the key points to this message with some other things added to it. And you can actually click on there and you can add your own notes to it, and then you have it with it wherever you go. So you just go to the Bible app, click on events, search First Baptist Mason, and it'll be live, um, should be live every Sunday morning, and you can choose that. Um, and if, if not, That's that's cool, too. I know some people have their own own way of writing notes. But let's pray, and then we're going to turn to John chapter 12. So, Heavenly Father, the words that we are going to study this morning are some of the most powerful words that Jesus ever spoke. And I pray that those words will impact not only my life, but the lives in this room, so that we can go and we can tell the world about you and bring glory to you. So be with us during this time. Teach us, motivate us, move us. In your name we pray, amen. So if you turn to John chapter 12, what we find here is that this is the beginning of the recording of the events of Jesus' final week, and it's coming in a furious fashion. There's a lot happening in John chapter 12, a lot going on. And if you look at the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see similar um, you'll see similar accounts of what happened some go more in detail some some don't some mention the same things some don't mention them at all Uh, some timelines might be a little bit different but here in john we're picking this up and and jesus has come in verse one and he's come back to bethany and when you've heard me talk about bethany before jesus left jerusalem went to bethany cursed the fig tree and came back to jerusalem he's he's in bethany and he's having dinner in a home He's having dinner in a home. Look at where verses 1 through 11 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was raised, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot... One of his disciples, in fact, it's the one who's about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus says, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me." And then in verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So what we have here in this first section of John chapter 12, is we see that Jesus recognizes that his time is short. He references it here. He references all about all through John chapter 12. Jesus recognizes that his time is short, and so the first thing he does is he goes and he has dinner to spend time with those closest to him. He's spending time with those that he loves the most. Most Here we see Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We also see the disciples there. There's other people there, but um, there's several things that are important to see here in this dinner. Jesus is, like I said, is spending time with those close to him. If we, know, if we know anything about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, a chapter prior in John chapter 11, Lazarus has died. He's dead. He's buried in a tomb. And Mary and Martha come, and, 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 and Jesus hears about this, and Jesus is coming, and, and the, Martha runs to Jesus and says, he's, he's dead. And Mary says, Mary says, if you had been here, if you truly loved him, if you'd been here, he he would still be alive. And Jesus' heart was burdened, and so he goes and he 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 goes to see Lazarus, and he when we get there, we see the shortest verse in Scripture, John eleven thirty five, and it says this: Jesus wept. Jesus was so broken hearted that his friend had died. He was so full of sorrow that he wept. And then Jesus performs a miracle, and he raises him from the dead. And Lazarus is alive. Now this is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Jesus' life. But Lazarus is alive and they go on and, and, and they go about their business. And now Jesus is back and he's having dinner with these three. And, and, and he's, 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 he's showing us that in a person's final moments, in a person's final time on earth, just like it is the rest of our life, it's important to be with those closest to us. It's important to be with those we love them most to be around them it brings comfort it brings closure and it brings blessing and that's what we see here when you spend time with those closest to you in in your final moments or their final moments it brings a blessing well how do we see that in this passage the easy thing to see here in this passage of basically verses 1 through 8 is the interaction between Mary, Jesus and Judas Mary is worshipping Jesus by anointing his feet and Judas gets upset now, we're going to look at that interaction in just a moment, but I want us to look at some, a few other things real quick. Mary worshiping Jesus, this is her personality. This is what she does. In fact, in that story, in that setting, in that telling of what happened in John chapter 11, Martha actually gets mad at Mary because she's not helping out around the house. Does that ever happen in your house? Do you get mad at somebody for them not helping out? Martha's personality... Was to work. Verse 2 tells us that Martha served. Her personality was to be a worker. In Luke chapter 10, it expands upon this a bit, and Martha gets upset. She says, In Luke 10, verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, him being Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. This is her personality. Martha worked. Mary worshipped. In that same telling, Mary, in Luke chapter 10, Mary is spending time with Jesus. She wants to be with him. She doesn't care about anything else because she's in his presence. And here what we see in John chapter 12 is the same thing. Mary is spending time in his presence. She's worshipping him. She anoints him. Martha is working. She's preparing the dinner. She's going about. She's doing the things she's gifted at. The things that she's made to do. We'll also see here is Lazarus is present. What does Lazarus have to do with this? Well, there's three things here that lead to a blessing. And in life, when you have work plus worship plus a witness, it leads to Jesus being blessed. And it also leads to us being blessed. Mary worships, Jesus is blessed by that worship. Martha works. Jesus is blessed by Martha working because she provides a, no doubt, a wonderful meal. She provides for everyone that is there. And and, and Jesus is able to not have to focus on what are they going to eat. He can just enjoy the time with people around him. So he is blessed there. And then the witness part of it, Lazarus is there to say, this guy is who he is, who he says he is. Y'all all know that I was dead and now look at me. And when your life combines that, when you worship God, when you work for God, and when you witness for God, blessings come. The whole purpose of all of this is to bring glory to God's name. And so when we do this in our life, when our lives are built on these three things, there's a blessing that goes to the heavens. Jesus was blessed in this moment, but they were also blessed. Look at what Mary, how Mary was blessed. It says that you know, Martha had the blessing of serving her Lord. Lazarus had the blessing of life. But Mary was not only able to worship and anoint her king, but it says there in verse 3, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You ever walked in somewhere that just really smells good? Yeah. And you remember it? There's a restaurant in the Austin area that I really love to go to, and this is going to sound really weird when I say this because I just, it just hit me how weird it's going to sound. I love to go into the bathroom of that restaurant <laughs> because they have some scent to odorize, deodorize, whatever, that room that is like the best scent ever. And I don't know what it is, and I can't find it anywhere else, but I just go in there, and I'm like, ah, oh, because it smells good. <laughs> Mary's house was blessed because the fragrance filled the room. It smelled good. It brought good feelings with the smell. When you smell something that, that is pleasing to you it, it makes you, it makes you think good things. Mary's blessed. But this perfume was expensive. It would have cost Mary approximately a year's worth of wages to purchase. It's a lot of money. And Mary... Um, was willing to sacrifice for it. She was willing to make the sacrifice because she loved Jesus that much that she was willing to give something. Now, we don't know if she purchased it or if somebody had given it to her or whatnot, but it it was expensive. And she's pouring it on his feet to anoint him, to worship him. And she doesn't care. She's willing to make that sacrifice. Now, those that don't understand what that kind of love that she would have for Jesus is, Or those that have placed their priorities in other areas are going to think that this is crazy, right? Somebody's pouring out this, you know, $50,000 bottle of perfume. I've never seen a $50,000 bottle of perfume, but pouring it out, isn't that wasteful? Judas has this thought. This is what Judas is thinking. In verse 5, Judas questions, why was this money spent in this fashion And not given to the poor. It's a common question when a sacrifice is made. Why was that the wise thing to do? Could that have been used differently? Why are you being so wasteful? Now oftentimes, just like Judas hears, it says, oftentimes when someone questions someone else's motives, it's because they have uh, ulterior motives. Motives that aren't pure Look at verse 6 and we see Judas' true character. Before we even get to Judas betraying Jesus and selling him for 30 pieces of silver, we see Judas' true character in verse 6. It says, Judas, uh, verse 4 says, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, um, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it Judas is saying man she just wasted all that money and if that money had been put somewhere else I could have had access to it and done what I wanted to do with it we're seeing Judas's true character we're seeing Mary's true character I had a, I had a conversation this week and it was a great conversation about how many Judases do you know today how many kids do you hear named Judas today but how many people do you know that are named Mary you know Think about that. Her heart mattered. What we see here, look at what Jesus says. What we see here is those who love you will make sacrifices for you. Those who don't will be critical of the other's actions. Those who love you, it doesn't matter. They're going to do what they need to do to bless you and honor you. Those that don't understand that love, they're going to be critical of your actions. I can't believe you spent that much, or I can't believe you did that for them. They're going to be critical of them. And, 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 and this love that I'm talking about, this love that Mary had for Jesus, this love that Martha had for Jesus, it, it's an internal love. It's not this, this romantic, showy, um, shallow love. It's internal. And what we see here is, is when it's internal, it's in your spirit. And so Mary has a sacrificial spirit. And and your sacrificial spirit brings a blessing. Sacrificial spirits bring blessing. Critical spirits bring rebuke. Look at what Jesus says to Judas. Verse 7, Jesus says, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus says it doesn't matter. She recognizes that she's with me because she loves me. There's always going to be problems, there's always going to be things going on. There's, uh, the poor will always be around. But in this moment, she's in the presence with me. We're, we're being close, it's our time together. So let her do what she wants to do. Don't judge her because this is between me and her. Not between you and her. She's making a choice to worship me. And we move into a new, a, a new section. And this is probably the most, one of the most famous sections of scripture that, that everybody has heard or, 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 or found reference to. And it's, it's John chapter 12, 12 through 19. And it's a triumphal entry. Jesus leaves the dinner, and he heads back to Jerusalem. And the triumphal entry uh, it says, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. In, <clears throat> and it says, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. We continue in verse 17. It says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. This is the reason why the crowd went to meet him was because they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So we have three different groups of people that are participating in this parade, this triumphal entry. And this is, this is a parade that in, in, in that time was, was nothing compared to what the Romans would have thrown. Um, but, but this is a parade. Um, we've got three different groups of people. The first group, you've got people from out of town. You've got visitors that are here for the Passover feast because people were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this annual feast, this Passover feast. So they were, we had these visitors that were here, and they were very welcoming. They were the ones that were saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, Hosanna. Then you also had locals, those that, had, that lived there, that they were around. They were part of the, the, um, the, the scene, and they were witnessing. They had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And because of this, they were sharing it with everyone that they saw. Man, this guy that raised someone from the dead is coming to town. You got to go see him, you got to get close to him. And so, so they're witnessing about this. And then you've got the religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders of the culture that are worrier, worrying. I can't say that word. Worried. They are worried that stuff is going to happen. Riots are going to happen, a revolt's going to be incited. So you've got a group that's welcoming, a group that's witnessing, and you've got a group that's worrying. And Jesus Jesus continues through this and and goes through this. And you find that uh, this moment had been foretold in prophecy many years prior. That little section that's kind of pulled out in your Bible that says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is found in Zechariah 9, 9. And the prophecy is saying, daughter of Zion, Israel, Jerusalem, your king is coming on a colt, on a donkey. Your king is riding in. If you dig in, you see it's not just the fact that he's coming back to Jerusalem here. He's announcing his arrival by fulfilling this prophecy. And it says the disciples didn't even remember that prophecy until much later. After all of this had occurred and they're kind of rehashing, they're like, oh, we remember that now. That's another sign that he is who he said he was. The locals who were witnesses to the raising of Lazarus had spread the news of the miracle so much that a crowd had gathered to welcome in this king of Israel. And these people had the wrong idea of who this king of Israel, what this king of Israel is going to do. But the crowd had become so large that the Pharisees were waiting to see what kind of trouble Jesus would bring. Anytime Jesus came to town, the Pharisees started to watch because they thought Jesus was going to do something. There was just something that unnerved them, something that didn't set right in their spirit. And Jesus, um, they just were very worried about that. They thought that he was going to stir up trouble. But Jesus was there to do nothing of the sort. And there's some real symbolism in this passage right here. The waving of the palm branches were symbols of peace and victory. Now, here in this passage, this part of this passage, Jesus doesn't say much. Doesn't say anything. The waving of the palm branches, though, were a symbol of peace and victory. They were expecting, these people were expecting a king to come in and bring peace through traditional means. Through a political gain or through a military gain, they were going to bring. He was going to bring peace in that way, the way that we would think today. When we hear we want peace on earth, it's like who can we go take out of power that's causing problem and bring peace to that country. They were expecting that. In fact, if you know what the name of Jerusalem means, it means city of peace. And here, for these people in this culture, if they're facing this ongoing occupation uh, by the Romans, they were longing for peace because every day was filled with strife and turmoil. Luke 19 tells us, though, that as Jesus observed this, as Jesus observed these people celebrating him and his arrival, misguided as it was for what they were expecting, he wept over the city. He wept over the city because the people were looking for peace. And Jesus saw what lay ahead, not only for that week, but beyond. Jesus saw war and suffering and destruction. He saw scattered people that were coming. This was hardly the peace that they were looking for, hoping for. And yet those wars still continue to this day. Look at not only our country, but the entire world and how it's divided. Jesus knew that was coming and he wept. The Pharisees, you know, they were the warriors and they were observing this and they were watching this and they make this statement here at the very end of this passage in verse 19. It says, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees observed this and in their minds, They thought that Jesus had won the day. He was the the flavor of the moment. They they were going to have to go try a different strategy. But Jesus, in announcing his arrival in the way that he did and in the time that he did and that he was there, he was merely forcing them to play their hand, to force them to act during the feast. I had a wise man tell me one time that uh, you only have so many cards in your hand and you have to choose the right time to play them. An even wiser man named Kenny Rogers said, you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Jesus forced them to play their hand. And then in verse 19, when they were looking for a revolt, they thought they had it. They thought he was there. They felt like they were losing. The crowd that's followed, they they see this crowd following Jesus and they feel that the battle is lost. It was an exaggeration of what was actually happening, but it was also a prophecy of what was to come because they were going to lose. They felt like they were losing ground. It's forcing them to act and forcing them to act now. And so they put their plan into motion that's carried out through the rest of the week to arrest him, try him unjustly, Crucify him and bury him to put this danger out of the way. I told you that Jesus didn't say anything in this part of this passage. Jesus knew this had to happen and he knew why. He knew that they were going to have to act so that the suffering that he was to bear could bring glory. Remember, all this is for the glory of God. He had to do this to bring glory. He knew in order to enter his glory, he had to go to the cross. His actions speak louder than words. And so often when we live our lives, and if we're, we're faced with this moment, whether it's ours or it's someone we love that's faced in their last days, we have to remember that so often our actions speak louder than words. My grandparents passed away from Alzheimer's several years ago. And um, my mom told me the story one time because for, for the last several years of their life, they, they weren't there. They didn't know us. They, they were pretty much in a vegetative state. And... Um, couldn't function or anything they lived in a a nursing home a memory care unit and my mom was talking to the chaplain one day and, and just asking why are they still here why does God still have them here and the chaplain looked at her and said I really believe that they're still here because all the people that work here are watching how you and your family handle this they're watching your actions what witness are you showing in your actions in these final moments Because actions speak louder than words. Death brings suffering, but for the ones taking their last breath, and those are close death brings suffering for both the ones that are taking their last breaths, but also for those that are close to them. We grieve when someone close to us passes away. We hurt. We suffer. How those moments are handled should bring glory to God because the world is watching. The world is watching everything you do if you profess to be a Christian. How you handle those moments. Doesn't mean you're not going to screw up. Doesn't mean you're going to handle a situation correctly. But if we know that we bring glory to God in how we handle those, and if we do screw up how we handle that mess up, we bring glory to God. The world will see that. In fact, if you look at the next section as we continue on, and we're going to keep moving quickly, um, in the next section, there are outsiders who've been observing. And this, At this feast, there's a group of Greeks, and these, these outsiders, they had gone to worship, and they decided they wanted to take things a step further. They didn't just want to be a crowd. The Jews, they wanted a sign. They wanted Jesus to perform grand miracles and do all this stuff to show, I'm here. The Greeks, they just wanted to be present with him. They wanted an audience with him. They wanted a private meeting. In this little section, you see the Jews are shouting Hosanna and celebrating, waiting for a sign, something big, something bold, something loud. And the Greeks, they just wanted his presence. They wanted to talk to him and hear what he had to say. Scripture doesn't tell us if they actually got that audience. Scripture doesn't tell us if they got to go and sit together privately with Jesus. But what we do see is what Jesus responds when Philip And Andrew, go and ask him if they could have that audience. Look at this uh, beginning in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. If anyone, he must follow me and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had, been, that it had thundered. And others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now, is the judgment of this world... Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. There's a lot in that passage. That's a long stretch of scripture. And Jesus is saying a lot there. Let's look at what it says very quickly. Jesus is foreshadowing his death is imminent. And he begins to teach. This illustration of a grain of wheat is saying that it must fall to the earth and die. If it doesn't, it's going to remain alone and not die. But if it does, it will die and something new will be planted and many seeds will come from that. Jesus is talking about himself, but he's also talking about us. Jesus is saying, I have to go to the cross and die so that when I am entered into the ground, life is going to come from that. New life will rise up. He's also saying that you must die to yourself in order to bear fruit. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. Die to yourself, follow Christ, and fruit will come. We have to die to ourselves so that we might be planted to God. What does that mean? It means we have to get uncomfortable. Jesus, or Warren Wiersbe states this, God does not expect us to be comfortable, but to be conformable. God does not expect us to be comfortable, but to be conformable. This is what he's saying. The essence of what Jesus is saying. I'm about to go before you and show you an example of what you must be willing to do for me. This is what my calling is and this is going to bring glory to my name. But if you serve me, truly serve me and are willing to give me, give your life for me to get uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me, you're going to have the same. You're going to bring glory to God's name. Now, if you've ever been in a room and someone in their last moments, it's not uncommon for them to reassure their loved ones that everything is going to be okay. Right? This passage right here, as Jesus is speaking, as Jesus is sharing it, Jesus knows what's coming, not just for him, but for those that serve him, those willing to die for him. And his response here are words that God is saying directly to each and every one of us that believe in him. It's going to be okay. His words are reassuring those that are willing to suffer for his sake. Those that are willing to die to themselves daily. Those that are willing to take on the uncomfortableness of being a believer in a world that hates God. It's going to be okay. We get to the next passage and we see, we see in verse 37 through 50. And this is the last passage we're going to look at. That Jesus said these things and He departed. And when He departed from them, he, he He hid Himself. His public ministry and His public life is now over. He's done all He is good to do in revealing Himself. And in verse thirty-seven says, "Jesus when said, had said." Or verse thirty-six, when Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. In this passage, it's a warning for us. It's a prophecy. It's a warning. It's some really, really hard words to hear. Jesus had done all he was to do in revealing himself, and yet there were those that would not believe him. People that had seen it. People that had witnessed it. They'd seen the signs. They'd seen the wonders. They'd heard the messages, but they chose not to believe. They wouldn't believe him. They moved from that section to those that could not believe him. Because they had rejected the message so many times that their hearts were now hardened. Their eyes were closed and their ears were shut. Isaiah prophesied that and, and, and it came to pass. We had those that would not, we had those that could not. Nah, and, and that's a warning for us today. We only have so many chances to hear the gospel and respond before our eyes, ears, and hearts are closed forever. You have the choice to believe. Ultimately, that choice could go away. We don't know when that would be in your life or whatnot, but but you continue to reject the message and it's not going to be there. There's a third group that's in this passage, um, and this is a group that is is like so many people in our world today. These are those that should not believe. And I say that because this group valued their status in the world more than their place in the kingdom. If you look at the scripture, it says they they believed, but they would not confess because they were afraid they were going to be kicked out of the synagogue. And I look at people, I have friends of mine, acquaintances, people I've done ministry with that grew up in Islamic households. And when they came to know Christ, they were, going, they were faced with giving up everything they ever had. Family, status, relationships, their father and mother disowning them. And they said, Jesus is more important. And they give it up. These leaders of the day that believed they were afraid that the Pharisees were going to kick them out of the synagogue. And so they would not confess it. They were afraid of what other people might say. And this is, I'm going to just take a little sidebar for just a second if you'll let me. This is where baptism comes in in our our belief. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and so so it's an act of obedience that we follow in the things that he did. But the main reason that we get baptized is to profess outwardly what Jesus has done inwardly on us. We are confessing that Jesus is Lord. And so there's no salvation that happens when you go under that water, that's something that happens internally. But when you get up in front of a group of people and you willingly go under the water in the name of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, created new when you come out, that's a symbol of what he's done on your inside. That's confessing that you believe. As we end this passage, as we end this sermon, as we end this message today, we see Jesus with some final words. They're powerful and they pack a punch. Jesus' final message here is that judgment is coming and those that, those that believe, believe not only in Jesus but in God the Father who sent his Son. Jesus came to do many things. There's a slide that I want to put up right now that talks about what Jesus did. Jesus came to live. Jesus came to love. Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to die. But more than anything, Jesus came to save. And that's his final message here on earth. Up until his final moments, Jesus is preaching this message over and over and over again. The message is, I'm here to save the world, not judge the world. The Father commanded me to preach this message of salvation, and I'm going to preach it. We don't know when our time is up. The number of people that I know have passed away in the past couple months is more than I bear to speak. I heard of another sweet, sweet lady last night. A friend called me and said, hey, she passed away. Uh, And I'm sad because she was such a sweet spirit. The really scary thing is the number of people my age that I know that are passing away. Makes you realize that your time on earth is short. I began this message with a statement. Every breath you take, you are one breath closer to your last. What is the message that you're going to leave? Is it going to be one of needless, shallow worldliness? Or is it going to be one of salvation? Pointing those around you to the glorification that the Father brought through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' public ministry was over, and he leaves them with these words. And as we move into next week, he moves into an even more private time of those that are just super close with him. And we're going to look at the words that he says to them there and how we can apply that to our lives next week. But the focus today is that Jesus brought a message of salvation. Your time on earth is short. You only have so many chances to hear the message and respond. And so we're going to enter into a time of response right now. Um, the band is going to come up. I'm going to be standing down here front. If you would like to find out more about that, if, if God is saying you need to respond to me today, um, I would love to pray with you about that, um, share with you about that, and, uh, um, and, and just let you um, follow in that decision. If, if you feel like God's working in you and your family and you want to make this your home, this will be a time to do that as well. If you just need to pray, the altar is here. Our world needs the Easter message more than ever before. And it is our opportunity to do that, to take that to the world. Father, your message of salvation is the one that we need to hear, the one that we need to live, and the one that we need to love. It's the message that we need to take in our final moments and share with everyone we can because no one knows the time nor the hour that you will return. So we must live each moment to its fullest and share the good news around. And I pray if there's any heart in this room that is, is feeling a call from you to, to come to know you, I pray that you would stir in them a spirit of courage and, and boldness. Father, move in this room right now. In your name we pray.
1: Strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears, and you meet us in our morning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our way. Your plans are still to prosper You've not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood on my delight Your plans are still to prosper You've not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood Cause you're faithful forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood cause your faith
0: want to introduce some people to you. You all know them, but, um, JD and Tammy, y'all come up. Um, JD and Tammy Sanders are uh, coming today. They want, y'all can be seated for just a second or promise we're almost done. Um, they are coming today. They want to become part of our family here, um, at first Baptist Mason. So come on. we are excited to, to add them to the family, um, uh, and the ministry that they're going to bring to us. And so, um, just want to introduce you to them. Uh, and, uh, I'm going to explore our full process of membership. I haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, and uh, I just kind of got ushered in when I got here. They're like, you're a member now. So, um, so uh, they're going to stay up here. Come shake their hand. Um, love them. Tell them that you're glad that they're here because they've been coming for a while. And, and I'm so excited. They came up to me this morning and said, we're ready to do this. So that's awesome. Um, a couple other things. Um, next Saturday, Dave, we put that baby shower slide up. Um, Next Saturday, there is a rescheduled baby shower um, that was in February. It is now... um, uh